Well, welcome to Perryville First Baptist Church. I hope and pray that you are having a very joyous and blessed Resurrection Sunday. We're so glad that you have decided to join in with us this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Resurrection Sunday, what some people call, most people call Easter Sunday, is, uh, is a very important day in the faith of Christianity. It is the culmination, Resurrection Sunday is, of the week that many call Holy Week, which begins with Palm Sunday and then ends with Resurrection Sunday. Uh, there are many things uh, that, that happened in that week as, as Jesus entered into the city and then eventually uh, was crucified on the cross at Calvary. And you know, I was thinking about that and how it uh, relates to where we are today in this season of life. A friend of mine uh, pointed out the other day, we were talking about Palm Sunday, and he says, you know, when Jesus came riding into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, uh, he was greeted with palm branches, and, and, and they greeted him the way that they would have greeted a king. And, uh, but, but, the, but the reality is, is that... Uh, is that Many people probably were caught off guard by this king of kings or this Messiah riding in on a donkey. It would have caught them off guard, yet they pressed on and they praised God. And we were thinking about that and how none of us really could have imagined this year and this Easter being the way that it is today. Most of us... Uh, would, uh, would, would, would not have expected uh, to be celebrating Easter from our living room or from somewhere that is not in a, a church building. And for our congregation, just like many congregations all over the United States and really all, all across the world, we are celebrating Easter remotely for the first time. Many of us watching from home and, and, and as we watch this service, our church building is empty. Uh, there is, uh, there's, there's no one greeting at the door this morning. Uh, there's no coffee brewing in the foyer this morning. Uh, there's no practice, music practice going on this morning. There are no Sunday school classes meeting in their rooms this morning. I know many of you are meeting online, but the rooms this morning are empty. Our church building is empty this morning. Still yet, even while all of that is true, our hearts can be filled this morning because although the church buildings are empty, they're not the only things that are empty today because Scripture teaches us and history teaches us that the tomb, the, the, the resting place for the body of Jesus after he was crucified, the tomb is empty today. Just like that song says that we sang this morning, an empty grave is there to prove that my Savior lives Friends, I, I don't know where you're watching from right now, but I know one thing. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has risen from the grave and He lives forevermore. So this morning, we're going to take a look 
at a passage from Matthew 28 as we see the account of the resurrection told by Matthew. And as we do that, we're going to see why and how we can go uh, from, from this place and from wherever you are, from this moment together that we can move forward as people who are living filled or living for Christ and filled by Christ as we understand the significance of the empty tomb this morning. So we're going to start in Matthew uh, chapter 28. We're going to start in verse 1 and read down to verse 10. If you would join me. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his robe was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken from fear of him that they became like dead men. But the angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has been resurrected just as he said Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead. In fact, he's, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them and said, Good morning. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful to know this morning that we are not serving merely a religious figure, but we, Father, are serving and worshiping a God who is real, a Savior who, who is no longer in the grave, a Savior who is resurrected, who lives forevermore. Uh, Father, a, a God and a Savior who walks with us, who brings us strength and, and helps us to navigate this life. Father, you give us wisdom. You proclaim your love. You demonstrate your love. Father, you walk with us. And God, I pray that you would walk with us this morning as we dig into the resurrection here in Matthew 28. May your name be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage this morning here in Matthew 28, I want you to notice a three-part pattern to the resurrection account right here in Matthew 28. The first thing that we see is, is right where we begin. We begin at the tomb. You see the tomb. You see the, uh, the result of death. After the, the Sabbath, the first day of the week dawning, the Marys went to view the tomb on that on that resurrection morning, they did not know at that moment that it was resurrection morning. Uh, on that first Sunday morning after Jesus was crucified, the women were on their way to the tomb. 
Remember, Jesus had just been crucified on Friday evening. All the people who had shouted, Hosanna, Lord, save us, Lord, help us. All the ones that were shouting praises to Jesus as he came in uh, to Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, they had completely flipped on him and their shouts of, Lord, save us, were shouts not to Jesus, but about Jesus as they were shouting and demanding that he be crucified. And so the king of kings allowed himself to be crucified. He allowed himself to be, to be hung on a cross, to, to be crucified for the sins of the world. He committed himself to, uh, to the hands of the Lord. Jesus was not, was not executed as much as he allowed himself to die. They did not take his life. He gave his life, but yet it was a, a horrible thing to see. I cannot imagine how horrible it would have been for Jesus to go through. But for those watching, it would have been very tragic and gut-wrenching and, and just horrible to watch. But Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And if that wasn't enough, praise God, we see here that three days later he would, he would rise from the grave. But see, the women didn't know yet that he had risen. So he died on Friday. And on Saturday, the, the women would have been preparing spices to to bring to the tomb to anoint his body. This was, these were things that they did uh, for people after they died. And so they were there to view the body. And as they approached the tomb that Sunday morning, just think about what they were expecting. What were they expecting when they approached the tomb? They were expecting death. They were approaching the, the tomb in, in a state of mourning. They were approaching the tomb in sorrow and in grief, emotionally reeling from what they had witnessed on Friday. You know, I think a lot of people in churches today, a lot of people come into our churches and they're struggling. A lot of people come into the churches and, and they're in pain. They're, they're, uh, they're struggling with sorrow and grief. They've been through something emotionally and physically. They're dealing with difficult things. But for many of them, you would never know that they are struggling because they, when they come to church, they come to church and they put on a smile and they, they pretend that everything is okay because they're afraid of what people will think. I think it's possible that somebody's watching right now who is struggling with something. And maybe the people you're watching with, maybe nobody really even knows. Nobody has a clue. But, but listen, friends, I want you to understand as you approach the tomb of Christ this morning, you are approaching it, if you're approaching it with grief and with pain, listen, I understand that. I get it. If that's your starting point, I, I, I think we all can relate to that. The Marys could relate to that. When they approached the tomb on that Sunday morning, that was their starting point. The fact is today, we live in a world where people are dying. Of course, we have the diseases that we have always dealt with, the horrible diseases of, of cancer and, uh, and, and, and many other 
horrible, horrible diseases. We live in a world where people are dying, but even more so today with the, the threat of COVID-19. We live in a world where people get sick. We live in a world where people, people that we love will die. We live in a world where, where even today many of us are worried about loved ones getting, uh, getting sick from that virus or, or we're worried about uh, loved ones who are already sick. We live in a world today where many people have lost their jobs. They've been getting laid off because of the, uh, the repercussions of, of what the virus has done to our economy and to our nation as we fight against it. We, uh, we live in a world where p- parents are trying to figure out how to homeschool their, uh, their children. How, how is a person who is not even trained to be a teacher supposed to teach their children? And I, I want you to know you can do it, but, but boy... There are a lot of people that are really struggling with some of those things. We have our teachers today that are working remotely and juggling other responsibilities. We have friends and loved ones that are, uh, that are on the front lines, uh, whether they work in a hospital or a doctor's office or they work in a restaurant or a grocery store. Listen, we live in a world where people are struggling. This is a time when people are struggling like never before. I think about our seniors who, who have lost their senior year. No prom, no goodbyes. Whatever graduation is going to be and going to look like, it's probably going to be different. And I don't know where you are in any of that or if there's some other struggle that you have here this morning, but if that is your starting point this morning, I want to remind you, That God created you for a reason. He has a purpose for you. And you need to remember that the pain and suffering and, and difficulties in life, they are part of the journey, but they are not the destination. You see, the women that went to the tomb that morning, pain and sorrow were part of their journey, but that was not their destination. That was not what God had in mind for them for the rest of their lives. There was light at the end of the tunnel. Listen, the COVID-19 stuff that we're dealing with today, listen, it, it is, it's, it's bad stuff. And, and we are taking it seriously, as you know, this morning. But we have to realize that this is only temporary. The struggles that are related to that virus are only temporary. They will last but a season. It's part of the journey, but it's not part of our destination. If you're struggling with something here this morning, I want you to understand that there is light at the end of the tunnel. It's like Psalm 30 tells us, Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. See, the women going to the tomb that morning were in anguish. Of course they were in anguish. Think about uh, what they had, had endured. I mean, who wouldn't be in anguish after what they had seen? But praise God, the story does not end at them at the tomb to uh, in mourning anoint a dead body of Jesus. Because you see, this passage begins 
with the tomb. It begins with mourning. It begins with anguish and sorrow. But the next thing that we see after we see the tomb is we see the transformation. You see, we see right where God intervenes. It says in verse 2, suddenly there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. The angel rolls back the stone. He's sitting on the stone. Scripture says that his appearance was like lightning and his robe was white as snow. The guards in verse 4, these are the guards, the Roman guards of Caesar. This is, by the way, just so you know, when Scripture says that, that Caesar placed a guard there, this is not just two or three guards. This is a squadron of the most, uh, the, the, the most trained, the most deadly, the most lethal uh, the, 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 the baddest military uh, in the world, okay? This is a squadron of the most powerful military in the world. And it says in verse 4 that they were so shaken from the fear of the angel that they became like dead men. Does that mean they passed out? Does that mean that they just pretended to be asleep because they were hoping that, that, that this angel wouldn't harm them? I don't know, but I'm telling you that when the women got to the tomb, they got there and, they, and, and what they were expecting was death, but what they, what they encountered was an invitation to be transformed. They had no idea what they were about to experience as they walked up to the tomb. They had no idea of what God had already done. You know, the way God works really amazes me. You know, whether you realize it or not, God is at work in your life right now. He's at work in my life right now. Right now, in, in ways that we can't even see, we don't even know, but God is at work. I, I think about that day during my senior year of high school at the Benton Walmart in the parking lot when I found a discarded or lost uh, pamphlet that shared the gospel with me. Back then, we called them gospel tracts. And it was just a little pamphlet that, that, that told about the story of Jesus Christ. It shared the gospel with me, and God used that to bring me into salvation. But when I think about how did that pamphlet get to me, it, it, it started with the Spirit of God leading somebody to write that pamphlet. It started, it continued with the Spirit of God uh, leading somebody to print that pamphlet. And the Spirit of God probably moving in another person's life to buy that pamphlet and possibly with the intention eventually of giving it to somebody. And I don't know if that, if that pamphlet was lost by the person uh, who, who, who intended to give it out. I don't know if they gave it out to somebody and that person threw it down. But what I do know is that God was moving in my life as He was moving in the lives of people that I have never in my life, not one time, met. I came across that little booklet because of God working in the lives of people around me. And that booklet shared the gospel with me and God began to change my life. Listen, whether you realize it or not, God is working in your life. Those women, when they got to the tomb, they, they came there in sorrow. And here they encountered God. They encountered an angel from God that 
brought to them an invitation. Look at verses 5 and 6. I love the angel says, Don't be afraid because I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has been resurrected just as he said. And he says, the angel says, Come and see the place where he lay. The angel invites the women to come and see. And this morning I want to invite you to come and see. Come and see what God is doing. Come and see how God is healing. Come and see his love. Come and see his power. Come and see his forgiveness. Come and see his grace. You know, there is a reason why all the experts in history measure history around the birth of Jesus. There is a reason why when you read your history books, everything either happens before the birth of Christ or after the birth of Christ. The reason is, is that Jesus was born of a virgin, the result of an immaculate conception and though he was innocent of any crime and innocent of any sin he willingly died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and then three days later he rose again praise God he rose again from the grave and this morning you're invited to come and see I want you to notice what the angel says as he says, come and see. He, he says to the women, come and see where or the place where he lay. When, when the angel said, come and see, he didn't just mean, hey, hey, come just sort of peek in just a little bit. He was saying, get in here and experience this. Get in here. You see, come in here and look right here where you laid his body. He is not here anymore. You need to get in this. You need to experience this for yourself. You know, a Forbes study from last year shows us that, uh, that in 2018, 84% of United States citizens celebrated Easter um, some 277 million people celebrated the resurrection in some form or fashion in 2018. And we live in a world where many people identify themselves as Christians. If they were taking a survey, when they take the survey in the census this year, many people are going to check the box under religious affiliation. They're going to identify themselves as Christians, many of those people would not, uh, would not argue with you over the historical reality of Jesus, his death on the cross, or the resurrection. Uh, they, they, they wouldn't have any problem with that. They, they would not challenge the historical accuracy of that. But the reality is, is that many of those people who identify as Christians and who would affirm the historical reality of Jesus' death and resurrection, many of them live lives that are not consistent with the doctrines of the faith that they claim to hold. Why is that? Why is that? Why are there so many people who say, yes, I'm a Christian, but yet their lives do not reflect Christianity? I think for many... By the way, that, there's probably a lot of reasons for that. A lot of things go into that problem. But I think for many, the problem 
for a lot of folks is they've been close enough to Christianity. They've been close enough to the tomb, so to say, uh, that, that, that they had, were close enough to sort of peek and just take a little sneak peek. Not necessarily um, that they deny that it happened, but I think a lot of them have not taken the time to cross the threshold, to get into the tomb, and to experience the resurrection for themselves. Many people come to church and they come to church here or there uh, whenever it makes sense, whenever they feel like it. Sometimes uh, maybe it's uh, they occasionally go and so they would say, hey, yes, I'm a Christian. When I, when I exercise faith, I go to a church somewhere. But the reality is, is that for many people, many people, not all of them, but for many of them, the reality is, is that although they are acquaintances with Christianity, they have never really committed their life to Jesus. Some people may hear this and think, well, gosh, he can't talk, be talking about me because I'm at church. Listen, a disciple goes to church because he or she is committed to pursuing the things of God, but going to church in and of itself does not make you a disciple, and it does not, it does not make you saved. Scripture tells us that salvation doesn't come from being good. It doesn't come from being a sharp person. It doesn't come from being a person who is polite. It doesn't come from being a good old boy. Scripture tells us that we are saved through faith and not by good works. See, the good works and the going to church, those are things that, that we do because we're saved. Those are things we do in light of what God has done in our lives. Those are things that we do because we've been transformed, but going to church and maybe doing a few good works here or there, those things in and of themselves cannot and will not Save us. We are saved by faith and not by works. Listen, this morning there is an invitation for you to come and see and come experience the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So what does that look like for you to be reconciled to God this morning? Well, have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Have you really experienced the resurrection? Have you been transformed by the presence and by the ministry of our risen Savior? Maybe this morning for you, reconciliation with God is, is not that you have never really experienced Christ, that you've never really committed your heart to Christ. For many of us, there are many watching and you're saying amen because you yourself have committed your heart to Christ. You yourself have been transformed by the ministry of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God covered by the blood of the Lamb. And you're, you're saying absolutely, amen, that's me. But maybe there are some of us who are covered by the blood of the Lamb this morning who for whatever 
reason came this morning carrying grief and pain and sorrow. And the invitation for you this morning is to step through the threshold and let our resurrection, resurrected Lord bring healing and forgiveness and comfort and peace. Maybe this morning you just need to give something over to God. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, let, let me tell you this. Giving something over to God does not mean that it just goes away. It, it doesn't mean that, uh, that whatever that problem is, whatever that difficulty is, it doesn't mean it just disappears. It doesn't mean that you don't ever have to think about it or that you'll never have to deal with it. But what it does mean is when you give something to the Lord, it means you don't have to worry about it. It means you don't have to be uh, afraid. You don't have to be paralyzed by the fear of what if. It, it means that when you do think about it, that you think about it through the lens of God and, and through the context of His Word. It doesn't mean that you'll never have difficulties, but it does mean that you'll never have to go through them alone. Listen, I don't know where you are with all of that here this morning, but there is an invitation available for whoever needs to come and see this morning. So the story of the resurrection begins at the tomb. And then the next thing we see is the transformation. That grief was turned to joy and excitement. But lastly, we see the testimony. The testimony of resurrected life. What does the angel say? He says, come and see. And then he says, go and tell. In verse 8, it says that the women departed Quickly, so departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. After they experienced the empty tomb, they were commanded to go and they departed with great joy. They ran. They ran with great joy to tell others about Jesus. Listen, Christian, this is Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. I want to ask you this question. When is the last time that you departed anywhere with great joy in order to tell people about the risen Christ? When is the last time that you departed any place to go tell somebody about Jesus? When is the last time that you ran to tell somebody about Jesus? When, were you, when was the last time that you were that excited to tell people about how awesome and how amazing and spectacular God is? You're probably thinking some of the questions that many of us think when someone asks us that. We think, you know, we live in a world where it's just hard to talk to people about Jesus. And I will tell you that that is absolutely the truth. And the truth is it's never really been easy to talk to people about Jesus. But in our world today, it has become increasingly more difficult we think, what will, what will they say? How will they respond to me? But you think about these women who encountered the angel and who were invited to uh, transformation, whose sorrow was turned to joy. You have to understand that when the angel said, hey, go and tell the disciples, to us today, that sounds probably hard enough, but you have to understand that they lived in a culture where women did not have great credibility. And so when the women 
uh, go to the disciples and they run to tell them Jesus is resurrected. The grave is empty. You have to understand that they would have, I'm sure that they would have known this on the front end, that they were going to be met with skepticism. That these, that these disciples were going to look at them and say, these over, overly emotional women, they are just frantic. They've, just, they've lost their minds. Uh, you know, I mean, they would not have come with a lot of credibility. And in fact, the disciples, in fact, as you read uh, other accounts of the resurrection, we understand that the disciples uh, actually were skeptical of the women when they came to them. You see, the, the women knew when they went to tell the disciples that, uh, that they were not going to be received right away that they probably were, were going to uh, receive some, <clears throat> some amount of, uh, of, of rejection, or, or maybe they would have feared that rejection. But yet it was their joy. They were filled with joy. And that joy uh, completely overrode in their heart the fear that they had or the trepidation that they would have had in telling others the fear of rejection. When it says, by the way, that they went with joy and fear to tell the disciples, uh, I believe that what that means is that they went with joy and reverence. They were, they were fearful of God, not fearful of the disciples. And the joy that was in their heart propelled them to tell others they could not help but to tell people about what Jesus had done, what they had experienced, what they had seen. Listen, believer in Christ, when is the last time that you were so excited and so joyous about the ministry of Christ that you could not wait to tell somebody about what God had done in your life? The, men, the women went to the tomb filled with grief and sorrow. They were invited to come and see. Their grief and sorrow was turned to joy and excitement. What an amazing thing that is. You know, it's interesting that, that the God that emptied the tomb was the same God that filled their hearts with joy and excitement. The God that emptied the tomb was the God that filled their hearts with joy and excitement. Listen, I don't know where you are with all of this here today, but, but I want you to understand that the nail-pierced hands of Jesus Christ are open wide to you today. He is open wide to you this morning, and He invites you to come and see. He invites you to come and experience the power of God. Some people are going to say, well, well I can't do that. God can't use me. But listen, I want you to think about this. The tomb had been sealed by a stone. Who put the stone in place? Sinners. Sinners put the stone in place. But yet the stone was put in place by sinners. It was the power of God that rolls the stone away for sinners. Some of us this morning need to make a commitment to Christ. Some of us need to commit our lives to Him. Some of us need to, to, to commit to making adjustments in order to, in order to be in the will of God, in order to be a better disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of us need to learn how to joyfully share our faith. 
We are at the tomb this morning. The question is this, will you walk past it or will you walk in? Let's pray.